Hello, it's Tuesday, 5th of September. I'm Hannah Pearson. On today's show, Gary Bauman and I will be discussing the recovery outlook for travel and tourism in Australia with our special guest, Samantha Palmer of Austrade. So let's get started. This is the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Hello, wherever you are in the world, and thanks for listening in. So today, we're excited to be traveling vicariously to Australia, one of the favorite destinations for travelers from Southeast Asia, to discuss all things travel and tourism with Samantha Palmer, who is General Manager of the Visitor Economy and Client Programs at the Australian Trade and Investment Commission, or Austrade. Austrade recently published a new international diversification strategy for the visitor economy, which we'll be discussing in detail with Sam on today's show. So firstly, Sam, thanks so much for coming on to the Southeast Asia Travel Show. How are you doing today? And where are you right now? Thank you, Gary, so much for having me. And can I say I'm a real fan of your and Hannah's work on this podcast. So it's a real privilege to be here. Today, I'm on the lands of the Noonawal and Nambri people in Canberra, the capital of Australia, where I live. And uh, I'm in one of the Austrade offices and we, of course, spread around the country and all over the world. Yeah, it's good to hear. And thanks for the kind words, Sam. You're in Canberra. Has spring sprung yet or is it still a bit early? Oh, the flowers are out. I'm very excited about the Floriade Festival, which is one of our big events and activities that drive tourism here. And um, it's a beautiful day, but a crisp 14 degrees. A crisp 14 degrees. So let's begin, Sam, with a bit of an introduction to your role at Austrade, which you undertook in April 2021 when the tourism outlook in Australia and across the region was somewhat cloudy. Can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, 861 days I've been doing this job, Gary, and every day is a brilliant opportunity to do something amazing with our colleagues across to the tourism industry in the visitor economy and our colleagues in states and territories and in Tourism Australia. So uh, we had done a lot of work in the agency before I joined to develop the new strategy Tourism 2030 to replace the very successful Tourism 2020 strategy. And we were uh, we were actually going to release that uh, just before I started. And COVID meant that the strategy itself wasn't completely fit for purpose. And as a result, the government decided to ask for an independent panel of experts led by Martin Ferguson, the former tourism minister, to look at what should be done in the context of preparing for the post-COVID um, recovery phase and to, um, to make recommendations to government. And as a result of that, since then, of course, that time was very challenging and very, very difficult and continues to be so for a lot of our tourism operators. But we now have a long-term strategy, Thrive 2030, as a result of that work. I love that you've been counting the exact number of days. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we, we get into the, the report itself and, and the strategy, tell us a little bit more then about Austrade's role within Australia's visitor economy and you know how does that fit alongside Tourism Australia, Tourism Research Australia, all of these different industry advocacy groups that there are in Australia? Great. It's a great question. And I love talking about it because we all have uh, very important roles and we work really well together. So uh, almost 10 years ago, that same minister um, decided to put tourism policy and programs in Austrade because Austrade was focused very much on trade and opportunity. 
and he saw a real opportunity, the former minister, to make sure there was a real alignment and understanding of the value of tourism and the visitor economy as a driver of trade, economic and other prosperity and well-being for the country. So in Austrade, we have the Commonwealth Policy and Program Responsibility for Tourism. So we not only produce documents like Thrive, which lay out the way forward for all of the different parts of industry and the states and territories in the Commonwealth. But we also work with our Commonwealth colleagues to make sure that tourism's perspective is incorporated into other policy work that's done so that there's that voice of tourism going into that work. So whether it's the aviation white paper that's being developed, the employment white paper, uh, new ideas about how to run regional grants, for instance, um, looking at health policy, all sorts of different aspects that get run across a very big country like Australia. We feed that into that process in those departments and agencies that are doing that work. So that's the what the kind of policy work uh, is. We deliver programs like this government has a range of travelling and tourism support programs. And we deliver those like uh, caravan park grants and supporting recruitment activities through the Choose Tourism grants uh, and programs and campaigns, for example. And then also within my division, we have Tourism Research Australia, which is the official provider of tourism statistics for the country uh, in alignment with international standards. And those statistics and those forecasts, they go into the national accounts produced by the Australian Bureau of statistics. Um, so that's also really critical and, and very interesting part of the work that we do here. Then the other thing Austria does is we have the international responsibility to sell international education to the world as a promotion, trade promotion agency. And that fits perfectly in the visitor economy because international students are such a large driver of our traveller uh, behaviour and spend in Australia. So having the two together, uh, having visitor economy, tourism and international education, that work is really great. And then Tourism Australia is our tremendous international marketing agency that's driving demand for um for uh, our, ourselves as a destination, whether it's for holidays or for business travel and working holiday makers. And so we work together. So we're working on how do we develop products? How do we build industry capability? And TA is delivering that important, incredible work on the marketing on the other side. That's a fascinating overview. Thanks for that, Sam. And that kind of segues neatly into the next question, which is looking very specifically at the visitor economy. And how important is it to Australia's overall economic well-being? How was it before the pandemic? And what's happened ever since uh, COVID disrupted absolutely everything? Great question, Gary. And this is something I've been putting a lot of thinking into what I post on LinkedIn to help people understand the the basic economics and the, the machinations and the data about how critical tourism and the visitor economy is to Australia. So let's start with a big, a big statistic. It was our number one services uh, export uh, prior to COVID. And when you put international education and uh, tourism together, still we were about $40 billion each. So equal number one. So when you put them together, we're a, we're a big powerhouse. We're the fourth largest export after iron ore, coal and gas. So if we're not digging it out of the ground, then after that comes tourism and international education. So an incredible driver in the economy. 
we we had um, 66% GDP growth in Australia driven by tourism, which was higher than the GDP growth for the rest of the economy at 55% prior to COVID. We had uh, one in eight businesses in Australia were tourism businesses. It's now actually one in seven. We've got more tourism businesses in Australia. One in 12 workers were working in tourism um, prior to the COVID pandemic. It's now one in 22. So the number of workers has dropped um, back a little bit, but still quite strong. And then um, we make an incredible contribution to the regions. So we produce, for instance, tourism satellite accounts, which for every region in Australia shows the contribution to their economy. Um, and of course, within our regions where there is very strong engagement in terms of First Nations and Indigenous experiences, we're also really contributing, particularly in that part of the economy. So we also have a $44 billion pipeline of investment in tourism um, activities in Australia. Uh, and so contribution to GDP for economists listening, we're currently at 1.6% share, which is about half of what it was prior to COVID. So we've got opportunity to get back where we were. Wow, those are some fascinating stats. Thanks, Sam. And in general, then, how is Australia recovering? Um, where are we in terms of those kind of latest inbound statistics um, for international visitors into Australia? Yeah, great. So we've got new data coming out from TRA in a couple of days. So I, I need to use the data from our previous reporting period, but everyone should go to tra.gov.au and have a look at the new data when it comes out in a couple of days. So international visitor arrivals have really continued to grow off that low base that we had last year. Um, we've had 2.7 million arrivals year to date at the end of May, which is about 69.5% of the pre-pandemic level. And um, arrivals um, reaching um, as well, thinking that's in the month, but 77% uh, of pre-pandemic. So TRA rec forecasts indicate a full recovery by 2025 based on what, what we can forecast at this time. What's really great is our top five source countries in terms of where our visitors are coming from. New Zealand is our number one market. It's our closest market and is a real big source, of course, of, of our great relationships there. The USA, the UK, India and China, those top five, five countries have accounted for 49% of all short-term visitors in the year to date to May 2023. And we're, of course, very excited by the announcement of the ADS group travel available now from China. And so soon we'll be able to um, welcome those visitors once we get through all the necessary regulatory steps and visa issuing and that sort of thing uh, coming up soon. And so we expect those numbers to grow even more. What I can tell you about why people are coming. So four in 10 um, of all international arrivals in the year to date for May were visiting on holiday and a further 37%, so almost neck and neck uh, with holiday arrivals are people coming for the purpose of visiting friends and relatives. So they're still quite a way below the pre-pandemic numbers uh, in terms of proportion, whilst uh, business and education have returned at a faster rate uh, respectfully, respectively in terms of pre-pandemic. And the only category that's increased over pre-pandemic so far is employment, which is 24% higher and reflects the great interest that people have in working and living in our fantastic country. And we'd really love to see more. 
So Sam, I mean, that's an, it's an interesting beginning to the recovery. And, and we're seeing this across Asia Pacific. You know, these are still relatively early stages. So if we take mm-hmm. a step back, you know, you, you mentioned how important um, the visitor economy was to Australia pre-pandemic. How did those COVID years influence the way you think about tourism strategy, not, not just in terms of inbound travel, but you also have a very, very buoyant domestic market as well. H- how do you balance those going forward? Yeah, so uh, real changes, if you look over the history, even during the, the, the decade before 2020, there's been some significant change in terms of the types of markets who are coming, the rapid growth of the Chinese visitor. So one of the things we did during COVID was had uh, McKinsey prepare some research to help that independent panel I referred to earlier to look at the opportunities and to think about how we were going in terms of what we as a destination were offering for different types of travellers and whether we were getting our relative share of some of those markets when you compare them and also recognising the the types of things that governments and industry need to do. Um, It's not just about marketing, right? There's a lot of product development. There's a lot of different preferences that need to be considered um, if you're going to be thinking about where your visit are going to come from in the future. So that research, which is published and available on our website, anyone can see, has helped inform some of the the thinking of the independent panel and therefore the Thrive strategy. But one of the most important parts of that work, Gary and Hannah, was actually recognising how important it is to collaborate and work together Uh, even when you're in a competitive environment. So the states and territories, they want people to arrive in their gateway destinations. They would like them to spend the majority of their visiting time in their locations, of course. But actually, there's greater benefits for everyone to be working collaboratively together. And we've seen this real focus on collaboration, which is a core pillar of the Thrive strategy, really helping drive how we engage and um, how we pool our resources and make sure we're being efficient with the precious um, money that taxpayers give us as government and how we can go forward together to produce something together rather than always thinking about uh, being competitive. And and it's been really great to see that um, that thinking that came through in COVID really actually playing out into action these days. That's great because sometimes, you know, we you saw that kind of element of collaboration during the pandemic. And then as soon as the borders opened up again, it's right, we're all competitors again. So it's it's, it's wonderful to hear that that's still the case in Australia. And you segued kind of nicely touching on Thrive. So let's talk about Thrive 2030. So that's Australia's medium term visitor strategy. Talk us through how that evolved and what are its overall objectives? As I said, the the independent panel were really important. We had representatives from different areas, international education, state and territory, tourism organisations, First Nations. Um, And quite a lot of um, listening sessions were held so people could provide their input through surveys, through um, putting forward papers. So, of course, industry groups did a variety of those sorts of things, individual businesses. And then a number of sessions, listening sessions, were held across the country. And quite a few were held on Zoom, if you don't mind me saying, because we were locked down during COVID. And so we probably had more opportunity to listen um, and to engage than might have otherwise occurred, especially given a lot of businesses were really reflecting and thinking while they were not necessarily able 
able to work um, during some of those lockdown periods. So uh, that produced a recommendations report which went to government and we produced following that government's decision, the Thrive Strategy and the the process of doing that is working with our colleagues in the states and territories, our, our tourism colleagues and Tourism Australia to produce the, the document, which also includes a series of targets for um, spend, which are produced by the TRA team in Australia and work through the Tourism Research Committee, which is the um, the senior um, data people, if you like, across those jurisdictions that help us with that work. So we set some goals. We have a vision. We have three policy, um, sorry, we have three um, pillars. So collaborate, modernise and diversify. So they were kind of the core areas of focus. And then we have seven policy pillars that sit underneath those with actions in our first phase action plan, our recovery action plan, which take us out to the end of 2024. One of the important things about the targets is we recognised and government um, put in this strategy that we needed a, a longitudinal set of visitor economy indicators. We call them the live indicators. We like to make words out of the acronyms and things here. So we've um, just been doing that work with some experts across more than just counting what people spend because tourism and the visitor economy contributes much more broadly um, than just money. And so there's that work that, that we've been doing. And then, of course, the the action plan going to the end of 2024 means that we actually need to do our consolidation action plan for the next um, period and then the acceleration action plan for the period after. So we're already thinking in Austrade now as we monitor and produce reports on how we're going with the implementation so far, we're also thinking about what is our process going to be for establishing the next set of action plans that follow for the strategy so that we're taking um, the advice from industry and we're thinking about how to continue this government-enabled but industry-led strategy into the future. A really, really interesting overview of where Thrive 23, you intend to take uh, destination marketing and destination arrivals uh, by the end of this decade. Within that framework, you've recently published a discussion paper called International Diversification Strategy for the visitor economy. Can you just tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that in terms of diversification? And probably probably this is a very obvious question, but why are you publishing it right now? Oh, very good. So, <laughs> so um, given the work that we had done uh, looking at research uh, around where our opportunities were for the future, and also, Gary, really recognising how much effort is required and long-term planning is required to get the infrastructure and the support systems and the capability there to actually provide what different markets prefer and to meet their needs. Um, and if we think about um, why would we do it now, well, uh, did the did COVID not show us the challenges associated with having all your eggs in a small number of baskets? I, I think across a variety of trade and services areas, building your resilience was really shown to be quite important. And we also know at this time, um, no surprise to your listeners, that a great many travel consumers are very focused on their carbon impacts, their broader impacts in terms of water and waste on the environment. And being a, a destination that is pretty much a long way from everywhere, pretty 
pretty much except New Zealand, um, we have to be thinking about those impacts and the choices that people will want to make. And so when we look at the, the markets that we've had and, and the makeup of our population, so more than half of our population were born overseas or have a parent who was born overseas and VFR travel um, pretty much reflects, you know, quite a number of our very large markets. If we think about places like the UK, um, for instance, we have to be thinking differently as, as governments about how do we support the shift to resilience? How do we support the con consideration of other opportunities to enable our industry to be able to attract markets that have different preferences and might be closer given the sustainability challenges. So that's really the answer to why now. Uh, and the process for us to, to publish this was to get industry feedback and to understand what is needed, what where do we have to be looking at the frictions and the challenges so that we can meet those um, and work out. Because if you're talking about things like visa systems or regulatory regimes, those things take time to work through um, parliamentary and other systems and to fund them. So they're not easy fixes. They they do require some thoughtful preparation. And so we are we've we've put the paper out. We've had lots of meetings and engagement, lots of consultation and surveys completed to help us with that. We're currently looking at all that information. And then we will put together a draft for government's consideration so that then they can lay out into the future where they think um, things are possible and what investment or activities they're prepared to support in order to enable industry to take up some of those opportunities for growth and, and benefits into the future. Gosh, I love listening to about what Australia is doing. You guys are just so, so much more forward thinking, um, you know, e even around the sustainability angle, which you're right, you know, this is going to be a massive consideration for, for people looking to travel. And I love that Australia is already building that into your, your strategy. So as part of the paper, one of the goals is to grow emerging visitor markets and build market share in the Indo-Pacific region. Um, how important are the Southeast Asian markets in that kind of context? The Southeast Asian markets, we think from the possibility of that massive growth in population and also the growing middle class and upper class, potentially really exciting prospects. And when we think about this, we're, we're thinking about how can we consider and help industry want to be really clear tourism australia looks after the international marketing and they take a wide range of considerations into into account when they decide their markets but for us looking at where the population is how close they are the connections we already have in some of our southeast asian markets if you look at um, vietnam going absolutely gangbusters and increasing aviation access um, quite quite exciting times uh, in terms of the growth um, and where can that go you know what is what do we need to do to be thinking about that so Indonesia um, Malaysia the Philippines Singapore Vietnam uh, Thailand you know really great opportunities there and um, significant population significant opportunity but a travel deficit uh, in in more Australians going there than um, than uh, citizens of those nations or residents coming here so only you know the planes are coming <laughs> we're going there the planes are coming back when the Australians come home so there's a real there's a real like Southeast Asia is exciting and let's not forget 
the Australian government has uh, appointed a special envoy, Sir Nicholas Moore, to look at Southeast Asia in the broader context of trade and relationships for our country. And tourism is a great place to make that happen because we're all about people to people. We're all about great experiences, business investment and opportunities and repeat visitation, which lines up perfectly with some of those broader government goals. So we're excited about the um, government um, trip that's currently underway with the Prime Minister and uh, where I understand listening to the media expecting some information to come out soon about Sir Nicholas Moore's report on Southeast Asia and we're really hoping that tourism given our work to date with his office will be very um, front and centre in that. I want to talk a little bit about China Sam you referenced there a couple of interesting points one you referenced that you now have the approved destination status back for group travel that's recently announced a month ago you also mentioned at the beginning a very interesting point about Australia's visitor economy and also its education economy and how important they both are and to some degree overlap as well and the, the visit family and friends so looking at China as a market, I mean, how important was it to you before the pandemic and what are the expectations of, of what the China market can deliver in future? So the China market was incredibly important and um, what's really interesting about China is the contribution of international students. So Australia as a provider of international education was incredibly attractive and a very large proportion of travellers were um, international students. And what's so amazing about international students is the, the the growing relationship and the great benefit they have in terms of the, the future um, for the country. But also when they're here, they spend a tremendous amount. Very big spenders. Um, because if you think about it, they're spending on their program, their investing in their education but they're also spending every day that they're here and and most of them are here for a number of years so um 10 billion dollars worth of expenditure um of which 6.8 um, billion was being actually being contributed by um short-term international students so quite quite amazing there and then for the uh, holiday makers, so again, uh, quite a large proportion of visitors holiday making and about uh, 28% of, of those were on ADS tours. So only contributing about $581 million worth of expenditure. So not a huge proportion, but people come often on an ADS tour and then they come back and then they come back and they might combine that ADS tour with consideration of, is this a great place for my um, kids to be studying as well? So there's lots of leap off points um, across that across that group. And what's really fantastic right now is that international um, education has returned. So we've almost got just as many students now here as we had before COVID. And of course, quite a number didn't go home over that period. They stayed over that period, but enrollments have continued to hold up. The, the capacity for Chinese travellers to return here who had gone home or who wanted to enrol are able to come. And so that's been really positive. And so ADS will only build on that. And I guess for a lot of Southeast Asian countries, as you've been saying in your podcast episodes, um, there's that level of caution and consideration in terms of returning because the countries were slower to open than in other parts of the world. But we're quite buoyed uh, about that and about, about China, whilst also looking for other countries and, and considering them as broader opportunities as well. So you'd mentioned earlier that sustainability, you know, that's one of the considerations that you're, you're thinking longer term. 
But in the Thrive 2030, there are these seven priorities, but sustainability isn't specifically outlined as one of those priorities. So perhaps you could share why that is. Yeah, so it's a really, really great question. And in fact, when you're building these sorts of strategies, you some things are foundational, consistent requirements across all things. And we thought, well, the vision is about sustainable benefits. And so we see sustainability right up there in the vision. We also see it as an incredibly important part of how we modernize. And so it sits the sustainability actions like the development of a policy framework and, a, for instance, a sustainability toolkit um, to help businesses in the visitor economy uh, get started on that journey. That's sitting in the modernization area uh, and action plan rather than sitting as a separate list of sustainable sustainability activities. So what we're encouraging uh, our businesses and industry and also us as governments, because we also have to contribute as well, that we do it as part of everything, like how we do it, how can be, we be more sustainable as we think about the choices that we need to make as we look at infrastructure, as we think about product development, as we look at our um, our operations management, our, our hiring practices, etc. And um, we have engaged uh, across all the states and territories who've all put funding in to help us do this as a group. Um, and we've engaged uh, EarthCheck to develop the policy framework for sustainability for tourism. So we're all on the same page across what we're doing across the different um, states and territories in the Commonwealth. And that means there's less regulatory burden for our industry members because we're all on the same page there but also by putting the money in to develop this first stage sustainability toolkit that helps small businesses particularly get started what do we mean when we talk about carbon net zero how do I think about the choices I can make before they think about more complex steps like doing a sustainability scorecard or getting accredited just to help them ramp up from the very um, low level uh, early starter right through to the more sophisticated destination or business that might go through the formal accreditation process through Ecotourism Australia or EarthCheck, for instance. So we're really excited about this work and we're looking forward to it um, coming to fruition uh, in the very near future. The level of detail on this strategic planning is fascinating, Sam. I could listen to you talk all day, but we, we have uh, only time for a couple more questions. So We've had a huge disruption. We basically had two years out of uh, out of the decade, really. And when you talked earlier about Thrive 2030 follows up on the 2020 goals, in terms of the Australia's tourism transformation for Thrive 2030, that's only six years away now. Um, can those goals be achieved in, in what is a relatively compressed space of time? So, Gary, it's always, it's always a really good question because... We as Austrade, uh, we facilitate and support and develop, but we're all in this together. And so it's really a question for everyone in the system. How are they feeling, uh, the small operator, the industry body, the uh, regional tourism uh, organisation, all the different component parts? How are we all feeling? And that's why we... We ask our um, colleagues across industry and states and territories to give us an update every quarter on how they're going with their um, actions because you can see in the action plan for Thrive that they're allocated to a whole range of different people uh, and bodies and we we monitor that progress and we publish the summaries of those on our website so everybody can see 
And so I think there's a lot of optimism in in the system, even if we haven't seen the return in some international markets uh, in general, particularly around holiday um, making at, at the level that we might like because of aviation and, and other costs and other considerations that people have had. There's still a lot of optimism and there's a lot of engagement about that. Uh, so I think there that that's a really, really great sign. In terms of some of our goals like spend, so we have a $230 billion spend by 2030. So we've already achieved the midterm goal, if you like, the action plan goal of getting back to pre-COVID spend by the end of 2024. We already achieved that at the end of the March quarter this year. Now, how have we done that? large part we've done that because there's inflationary aspects which means that people are having to spend more um to travel and so we're we're being cautious about this and saying well you know that's 166 by the billion by the end of 2024 and so by the by the time we get to that point we'll do an assessment and we'll try to take the um inflationary impact out if you like to make sure that we're being reasonable about achieving that but it looks it looks pretty good so far now on the 2030 by 2030, it's a midpoint. So when you do forecast, you say what's the highest and what's the lowest and 2030, $230 billion is right in the middle. And even now with inflation and other changes over time, we when we get to the end of our next planning period for, for instance, phase two, we'll have a good look and see whether we think those forecasts and that goal is still appropriate um, and whether we need to change it and adjust it. But some of the other things that we want to do like thinking about how to have a resilient and effective high quality workforce. You know, these are challenges that Australia doesn't face alone. Uh, many countries in the world have exactly the same challenge, which they've had for a really long time. It's been part of our system as aging population um, in many countries of the world. And so for some of them, you know, will we get there? Will we achieve our goals? Well, it'll take a lot of sustained effort and focus. And what I can say to you is I really am buoyed by the level of engagement and positive focus and solutions focused activity uh, rather than you know challenges or, or or thinking on the negative people are really trying to think about how can we positively achieve these things together and that means um i think we're in a really good place it sounds it and that sounds like a good place to finish the podcast i think so that brings the show to a close for this week we hope you enjoyed the podcast and don't forget to send us your thoughts on comments on anything we discussed with sam or anything we missed out you can drop us a message on our linkedin page at the southeast asia travel show yep and as always you can catch up with the southeast asia travel show's full back catalog on our website the seasiatravelshow.com and you can find us on any international podcast platform So that's a wrap for today, but Gary and I will be back soon to talk more Southeast Asian travel and tourism. 